going to be in Nehemiah 8 this morning. As our children go upstairs, I'll read Nehemiah 8 for you, and we will continue to learn and hear from God. Verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for this purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalida, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Pelaiah, the Levites, explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. As you think about understanding the reading, I'd like to show you this. See if we got anybody who wants to take a stab at reading that. It's a little different than the English that I tend to see, like when I, you know, go on Facebook or read an email. Does anybody write messages to you like that? I get a, yeah, not that you'd answer, right? I get the special privilege of seeing your faces right now. I wish you could see your faces as some of you are like squinting. Like squinting won't help, just for the record. Uh, I know that that's like a combination of like trying hard with your brain, but also feeling the pain of going, what in the world does that mean? Is that Old English? Yeah, that is Old English. Good guess. That's about 600 years old. There were a lot of English speakers more than 600 years ago. They could not read the Bible in the English that they knew. It was only in some sort of academic language reserved, you know, for the, for the masses and super educated people. There was nothing for just like common English speakers to go read. But a guy named John Wycliffe wanted to do something about that. He could read the unreadable scripture to the common people. So he took the unreadable scripture in a language nobody really used or knew, put it into the common English, which at that time, 1300s, looked like that. It was a Bible that people could understand. God's people in Nehemiah had the same problem. They'd been living in Babylon for decades. They didn't have scrolls. They didn't have God's word. They didn't have this, or I don't have my phone with me, but you know, we write, we pull it up on our phone. Like they had nothing. And all of a sudden they're back in Jerusalem. They rebuild the walls. They gather outside the water gate, which was just a gate to get in and out of the city called the water gate because that's how they brought water into the city. So they're there, and for the first time in a long time, they're able to hear God's word. And they want to, but they can't understand it. And they're shifting from wall builders to worshipers, like we talked about last week. They're making that transition, but a key part of that is hearing from God. And yet, being back in Jerusalem after all this time means they've got to relearn an old skill. 
They haven't done this in a while. They haven't heard it in a while. They haven't spoken in a while. There's been no scroll. They were in Babylon. Verse 3 says, all the people were attentive. Some of the people in verses 1 through 8, we're going to see this more as we read the rest, but some of them liked hearing God's word so much that they came back for more in verse 13. And there's more to be had. I point this out because God's word won't disappoint you. There's more to be had as, as you get your head around their experience. Just know there's more to be had. They can come around it, they can hear it, and then they could even come back for more. Now, interestingly, those who just go to this and hear this scripture on this one day and don't go back like the rest in verse 13, don't get judged. They're still loved by God. They still participate in the life as God's people. They get so much of what they need, and that's good, and there's no judgment for them. But there's other people who want a second day. They want more insight, and you'll see that in verse 13, and they find it. Speaking of all this reading, though, and English like that, do you know what all of us really don't want to read more? Those privacy policies, or those, like, updates on our phone that, like, you have to click OK to, like, approve it. You know, in some government agency somewhere or some group of people who say we'll be sued as a business if we don't tell people that we're changing from like paper notices to paperless notices. So then you get like six months worth of emails that say, I don't remember what it was, but one of my devices was like, on such and such a day, we're going to change this. And on such and such a day, and they keep telling me, you know, and I'm like, I don't want to read this. I didn't want to read it three months ago. I don't want to read it now, but I have to. So like, fine, I'll scroll to the bottom and choose accept, you know, and finally it stops, right? It's good to know all that stuff, right? I mean, worth diving into. I'm glad they send it to me, you know, in a way, but also just find it so hard to be attentive. I don't want to pay attention. I don't want to read it. Then I get into it, and I'm like, are they actually going to, like, use my information? Or I mean, what, what do I, you know, what does this mean? Not so with the Jews. They wanted to be attentive. They wanted to understand God's word because they knew my life will be different because I listened to this. There's something that I will actually gain from listening. I really want to understand it. So they gather with one heart. They listen. They have unity and focus. They're seeking the same thing. That's where our unity comes from. We're a people who seek God. We're a people who want to hear from God. We want to talk to him. We want to hear from him. We want to know him. Now, there's all sorts of differences among us. There's all kinds of different experiences, places where we grew up, what we were doing this past week, what we'll be doing next year, all sorts of differences, all kinds of things. But the people of God are all right when they unify around what they have in common, which is their faith in God and their connection to Christ. They're all right when that happens. See, the people of God can make do when they're more interested in what God would say than all the other things that could be going on in their life. I've started getting emails, speaking of things I don't want to read, I've started getting emails warning me like this ominous sort of tone, the political season's coming. Yeah. And I'm like, I've noticed, you know, like I, thanks for the email, but I've noticed that it's an, you know, an upcoming election season. And it's like warning me that, you know, if we don't, you know, and I'm going, the thing that irritates me about the email in part is I'm like, Nehemiah 8 is already talking to me. If a group of people would say, we'd like to hear from God, they will be all right. You know, thanks for the email, but I think it's already covered if I would just like go to God and let him be in control of my life and gather together as a group of people, because that's what they're doing. It's not just the word of God, though, to be clear. It's written down, it's a scroll, it's the word of God, but these people are approaching it as a word from God. There's something they want to hear from him 
not just to some idea like, well, we finally got the scroll. It's not just like sacred objects. It's actual hearing from God for them, and they're asking for it. Now I ask you, are we gathering and going as one people? This is the greatest challenge ever, but the Jews offer us some help here. They put God at the center of what they're doing, and they go to one place at one time for one purpose, and it shows us a little bit of a way forward. Would we come together Would we ask God into the core of our life and embrace his routines, worship, prayer, listening to him through his word, serving, sharing the message of Christ? There's these faithful acts we can do as a group of people that build our unity, that bring us together. And these Jews needed that. They'd spent 52 days building a wall. Before that, they were gone for decades, spread out somewhere in Babylon, disconnected relationally in a lot of ways and connected in others. And now they needed extended time together. They needed to just come together, be in the same place, be in the same time and gel, you know, and and connect and understand and get on the same page with each other. We have that opportunity in worship. We have that opportunity on Wednesday nights. We have that opportunity at YFC upstairs. We have that opportunity in, you know, Monday night altar time. We had that at Pat and Rachel's a couple of weeks ago. Like when we come together and are in the same place, God can start to work to build our unity. That's why I say seriously, thank you for showing up to church today. You're building our unity by being present because we are gathered. We're in the same place. We've got a shot at having the same experience. Even if you're you know, the most introverted person in the room, and you aren't like, let me put all my feelings out there. And that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we're together. We're together. There's a lot we don't know about all the people in Ezra 8. We don't know what every one of them did and, you know, which ones were excited. We get some insights into this and we'll walk through it. But we're here. And that means we can have unity. And if you want me to go even further, Jesus prayed for the unity of his people, which means it must be possible. Jesus would not pray for what could not be accomplished. So it must be possible. There's another challenge, though, and we're going to encounter this ourselves here for just a minute. These people gather, and we'll look at this in verses 9 through 12, where where they gather, and they don't understand. Look with me at verses 9 through 12. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. I'd like us to do something that's a little different for me this morning, a little different for you. The elders and I had some conversation this week about opportunities to hear God speak. And we're doing that even now through the word. But I also want to take a few minutes to just quietly privately and invite you, I'll, I'll handle the, the side of introducing this time and, and ending this time in a peaceful way, but I, I think it'd be really significant, and I felt God's leading even this morning, even yesterday, just to take a few moments right now to be the people of God before God and to listen to him 
just in prayer, just quietly as a group of people right now. I recognize you probably weren't expecting this. I recognize some of you may never have done this before, but I'd like to take just a few minutes in a relaxed way to just give you space to listen to God, to give you space to hear from him. And you've heard what they did in this case. We don't have Levites who are going to like walk around the room and say like, did you understand? Now, did you understand? Did you understand? And we don't have a QR code that's like, scan this if you didn't, you know. But I'll be up here after the service. You've seen Rich do communion. Jason's an elder. Might be able to stay afterwards. There's some people here or next Sunday or this week on the phone. If you, if you hear some things, just know that's an opportunity and you want some processing. That's an opportunity. So I'm going to just give you time to practice because I often, I often want the word to be applicable to life, and so I try to build in like things to do next week, but I feel God's leading to say, why not just do it right now? Why not just practice Ezra 8 right now? So we are the people. Let's just take a few moments, a chance just to listen to him. I'm going to not over-engineer it. I'm just going to be quiet. Let us seek the Lord, and we'll do this for a few minutes. I'll bring us back when it's time to continue in worship, and we will connect as needed about the Lord's connection to you. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for a spontaneous opportunity to do what your people did hundreds and hundreds of years ago, to gather together and to hear from you. We surrender to you, Holy Spirit because we want to hear from you.
Holy Spirit, I pray that for some of us, we've been before you long enough in prayer for right now, and others of us could stay a long time. Others of us are right in the middle of some moment with you, and I pray that you'd continue that moment in the way that only you can. We're submitted to you. You're the head of the church, even as Rich read earlier this morning. Your word says you're the head of the church. We continue to be in your presence. We continue to be before you. We pray that you'd give us ears to hear right now, this afternoon. If, if something is going on in our spirits that you want to keep stirring up and keep speaking, would you keep doing it, Lord? Even as we worship, Lord, let us, let us be able to sing of your faithfulness and walk in obedience before you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for doing that. Sometimes understanding the Word of God requires a little help. That's part of what we see. We didn't practice it this morning, but the help's available in our church for sure. There's this group of people who need these Levites to go around. Believers can understand with help. And I, I mention this because I want you to know that not understanding is okay. I think it's part of why in Nehemiah 8 it makes it plain like there are people who are like, we don't know what's going on. And there's other people who are having an active role to help it make sense, to go around the people, which we didn't do this morning, but we can later, you know, to go around and in a relational one-on-one -on -one way, connect and say, do you understand what God's saying right now? Do you hear him? Are you connecting with him? Is this going okay for you? It doesn't mean that the Jews had a spiritual problem. They actually had a good spiritual situation. They wanted to hear from God. They were, they were good. <laughs> they were on the right track with their life. They're just having a challenge. It's a head problem, I guess you could say, or you know, a human challenge. They just couldn't quite understand what was going on, but there was nothing wrong with their hearts. And you'll notice, by the way, speaking of how people work through things spiritually, you'll notice that Ezra doesn't just stand up in verses 1 through 5. I don't have a scroll, but imagine. And, you know, pull out the scroll and read it, and people fall down on their faces and immediately start worshiping. And he reads a few more verses, and the people on this side just fall down on their faces and start worshiping. It's not just, I mean, that might happen for some of us, but, but there's other ways in which it doesn't just happen. There's a process involved. There's effort involved. The Levites go around explaining the law. People had to be honest with themselves. There's things I can't understand. And it's, it's not just on Ezra to explain everything. The, the scriptures say that Ezra was reading at one point, and then in other places, as they were reading and they were explaining. So there's a group of people who are equipped within God's family to explain what's going on. It's never just Ezra who has to do it, which means that there might be some people who can explain things better than some others. And God uses those people. God has gifts for everyone and raises up those people. I want to give you a really cool picture of this. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 18, you can. I'm going to read it. But Acts chapter 18 has got a great picture of somebody helping somebody else understand. And this is really neat. So this is a Jew named Apollos. This is Acts chapter 18, verse 24. There's a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, who came to Ephesus, interestingly enough. He was a learned man with thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. <clears throat> more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there in Achaia to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. 
for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. This scripture, Acts 18, says Apollos was learned. He had a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. One translation in English says he was mighty in the scriptures. That's pretty intimidating. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mighty calls this image of like a warrior. You know, this guy's mighty in the scriptures. But Priscilla and Aquila say, we need to explain something to this guy. We need to have him over to our house. He's mighty in the scriptures. He's full of passion. He's brilliant. But we need to have him over our house because he doesn't know as much as he needs to know. That's amazing to me. The church works these things out. And then he moves. He goes to Achaia, this other city, gets sent there with support. The disciples there say, you're great to go. The disciples in Achaia say, we're glad to receive you. He goes there. He has an incredible ministry. His gifts flourish because people said, hey, you don't know everything yet. There's some things you need to be explained. To, there's some things you need to explain to you. So you might understand some things, but nobody's too smart to ever need help. Nobody's too smart to not need help. And that can help people have a strong ministry when somebody else says, I need to teach you something. Now, back in Nehemiah, notice that God's people basically relate to God's word as different groups. First, verse 2 says, this crowd was everybody who could listen with understanding. That probably includes adults, people as young as teenagers. It's something that makes it plain. There were lots of people who needed to hear him speak. They needed to hear him. They wanted to connect with him. And if they could understand, they could show up. So they're there. Secondly, there's a level of people who are content after one day of hearing God's word. This was hours, by the way. We didn't take hours to be here today. Just to let you know, some scriptures say these people were standing for six hours straight. So it could vary. Three, three hours, five hours, six hours. A whole lot of standing. You're welcome to stay seated. We won't be here for six hours. Not unless I'm going to get surprised. But they listen for hours. This group of people who comes for one day, they listen for hours. They understand God's word. They weep. They grieve, they mourn, they pray, they learn from Levites, they start to understand what's going on, and they go home. The, the day is done. Like, they've, they've been there for six hours or so, they go home. There's another group of people, the second day, verse 13 says, they go back for more. They gather around Ezra, the Levites, the teachers whose names we read. They gather around those people. They say, we'd like a second day of insight. We'd like to learn more. We'd like to grow more. What does that have to do with us? Well, this is part of the spiritual dynamics of being God's people. God's word is for everyone who can listen with understanding. And people listen and grow right up to probably their limit. And then they go home. And there's no judgment and there's no harshness. And they're not separated from God's family or rejected or treated like second-class citizens. And then there's a group who want more for some reason. And they go get more. They gather around. And there's others who don't understand yet. They're too young or there's some other situation. They couldn't listen with understanding, so they don't. But they're still in the family. They can still listen with understanding later. And there's others who go around explaining the scriptures. They're ready to teach. We have people in our congregation who are elders. We have people in our congregation who are Sunday school teachers. We have people here who know the word of God. Some of you are mighty in the scriptures, and you're equipped. This final group seems to want more in Nehemiah. They want more. They go back. They get a second day. And there's so much grace in all of this. I hope you realize it's easy to sort of see categories in the Christian life and think of it as levels. I'm not saying it's higher and lower. 
I'm saying it's just different people in different places. There's so much grace in it because even the Levites and the teachers who were going around saying, do you get this? At some point were the don't understand crowd. At a minimum, they were just so young they couldn't read. There was a day when they didn't know, but God's plan for them was to grow them up into people who did understand and who could go around and teach. There's so much grace in this. For others, they don't understand yet, but they will. They will grow, and they will understand, and they will become something in the kingdom. Growth is possible for everyone. But are we asking for his word? Are we listening to it? Wherever we are, are we taking some steps in that direction? There's so much information out there. Like I heard, you know, these emails, here comes an election. I've already started hearing a little bit about Christmas shopping, which reminds me of the silliness. Uh, I used to work as a journalist. I still do work as a writer, but I used to work as a journalist for a news organization. And they'd send me to shopping malls at Christmas time, and my job was to go around and ask people, what are they buying for Christmas? I'm so glad that's over. Like, I mean, if any of you love that, just know that job is out there. Like, you can do that if you want. But as an introvert, it's like, hi, go up to strangers in a shopping mall. This, for those of you who, you know, this is career guidance up here. But, like, you go up to strangers in a shopping mall, and they're like, I hear cashmere, cashmere sweaters are popular this year, you know? Like, that is not the kind of conversation I want to have with people. I'm like, I don't think about cashmere sweaters on a regular basis. Oh, it's the Pirates of the Caribbean Lego set something. No, I had no idea. You know, oh, the Minions are really popular this year, you know. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not, you know, the, the sage green's not in style this year. It's some other color, you know what I mean? It's like, I, what? Like, these are not conversations I want to have with strangers in a shopping mall. Like, all this information is out there. And now, of course, you know, Facebook, text messages, right? We've got all this information all over the place. Some of it's important, but are we making time to ask for the Lord to speak, to gather before him and say, God, we just want to hear from you. Enough of all that stuff, you know, right? We'll give gifts or whatever, but are we asking for the word? And are we understanding the word? And God's people sometimes need help, so there's no guilt. If you need help understanding it, so be it. That's fine. Don't let it be this kind of thing. Like watching Netflix and Swahili would be kind of like cool for 30 seconds. You know, you're like, you somehow get the subtitles on and get to watch Netflix from another culture. You know, like you see the other language and you're like, oh, this is great, you know, and there's like clicks and pauses at different times. And like, it's fascinating, you know, for like a little bit of time maybe, but you can't watch the show. And just like that scripture I put up there earlier from John Wycliffe, like that's 600 years ago. That's neat for like a sermon illustration, but I doubt you're going to go home and like Google John Wycliffe translation and like switch the app on your Bible and be like, you know, oh yeah, I read the John Wycliffe translation, you know, like if you do, cool, let me know how that goes for you. That's not going to help us understand though. And once the Jews do, guess what? They hear one message, be still for the day is holy. Do not mourn or weep, but go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, send portions to him who has nothing. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not be grieved, celebrate a great festival. They've heard the word, they understand, and now what? Well, I want to clarify one little thing, just because some of you are hung up when it says, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet. I sort of tripped over that. I was like, eat of the fat? I'm not sure that's... Like, that just means luxurious food, like the good stuff, all right? Fat helps meat be, like, moist and tender. So it's not like, you know, fat back or, like, just big pieces of fat or something. It's like, eat the good stuff. God's saying, eat the good stuff, drink the good stuff, have a feast, 
On verses 13 to 18, Scripture says, Then on the second day, the heads of fathers' households of all the people, the priests and the Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe so that they might gain insight into the words of the law. And they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And that they were to proclaim and circulate a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem saying, go out to the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of other trees with thick branches to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courtyards and in the courtyards of the house of God and in the public square at the water gate. And in the square at the gate of Ephraim, the entire assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. Indeed, the sons of Israel had not done so since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day. And there was very great rejoicing. Ezra read from the book of the law of God daily from the first day to the last day. And they celebrated the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a festive assembly in accordance with the ordinance. After the Jews heard from God, there was one people, there was one message, and after they heard that message, they had one activity. They all responded with one communal activity, building these booths or sheds. Maybe some of you have heard of this before. Maybe some of you are kind of like, what's going on right now? Like, I mean, they just built a wall, like building temporary shelters, but they have houses. Like, it's a little perplexing. Let me explain. This is a national celebration, first of all. So it's, if you want to just think of it as a big religious festival, that's basically what it is. They, the Jews had five major religious festivals during a calendar year. And this was one of them. They call it the Feast of Booths. That's what it's called here. It has a Hebrew word, Sukkot, which, comes, which is how we get part of the word from booths. So right after harvest time, they bring in all the grain, they bring in all the produce, they bring in the great stuff, right? The sweets, the good meat, all that stuff we were talking about. They've got all this food, just this abundant provision of God, and they build these booths to live in. There are Jews, by the way, who still practice this today. We used to live in Baltimore, and there's a large Jewish community in Baltimore. And in, in the neighborhoods where they live, you could drive, and if the home had a backyard, you'd see an offense. You'd drive down the street, and you could see over the fence, like this temporary sort of, you know, V-shaped roof, like poking up, you know, and it's there, and it's made out of like sticks. It's very obvious. Like you can tell it's not like a manufactured shed, <laughs> and it's not the house. And it appears around this time of year, and then it's gone again after seven days, and they live in it. And sometimes they could, like, run an extension cord in and do all this kind of stuff because it's modern-day times. But that was what's going on is, like, they're living in these temporary sheds, and they're doing that because they're saying, we are so blessed and we are a little bit like what Angela was saying before. There's this idea that we're so blessed. But there's another reason why they understood themselves as being so blessed. The Feast of Booths started after the Day of Atonement, which is a, Jewish, a, a separate Jewish ceremony which says your sins are completely forgiven. They would go through their own ritual. They didn't have Christ yet. And so they would go through that. And they would realize, wow, our sins are totally forgiven. And then we're going to spend seven days living in these booths with just the abundant provision of God, eating the best food, having the best experiences, just the best life could offer on earth to us in these little booths. It's building on the forgiveness that they have to say, we're living in these shelters, we're living in these temporary structures, and we are forgiven, and we are free, and we are God's people. 
And part of the message to them is you're not in the wilderness anymore. Kind of remembering this time. You used to be like wandering through the desert. You used to have no home. You used to have no place. You used to have no roots. And for this community in Nehemiah 8, they would have remembered, wow, we used to be in Babylon. We used to be leaving Babylon. We had to start our whole life over there as poor people, a defeated nation who'd been overcome by the Babylonians, our culture taken away, our temple destroyed, the whole bit. And they could just say this little temporary shelter just reminds us of all the journeying we've done, of all the traveling we've done, of all the things that have come to an end in our life. And it's spiritually enriching because they remember where they've been, but they also look forward to where they're going, a home that will last forever. As we close, I've I've tried to do a good job of saying these, these points, but I really want to drive home the main idea, I think, from this morning is that believers can live with joy. We have a God who speaks to us, and one of his messages may be seeing us weeping and grieving and and upset about the condition of our life or our spiritual faith or something like that. But eventually, he turns the conversation and he says, rejoice, rejoice. Where else can you get that except for Jesus? They weren't even hearing from Jesus, but the heart of Jesus is on this page. I see your sin, but I've dealt with it through atonement, which is what Jesus did for us ultimately through his life and death and resurrection, as Rich talked about. And you've been forgiven and you've been free. Rejoice. Go eat the good stuff. Gather together with family and friends. This is good news because you've sinned, but God loves you. You've sinned, but you still have a future. You've sinned, but God is still talking to you. You've sinned, but you're still gathering together. You're still worshiping. You're still praising. You're still breathing. You're still smiling. You are loved. You have new life. You have hope. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that believers don't have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. That's good news. That's a reason to rejoice. Jeremiah 15.16, another prophet at a pretty hard time, Jeremiah 15, 16, things are not great in his world. Some people call him the weeping prophet. But in chapter 15, Jeremiah says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name. Which is just like the song we were singing this morning. I ask you a question. How long have you been working hard? I mean like 52 days without like an ace hardware to go get like gloves like, you know, after the Babylonian exile, like, it wasn't like, well, we'll go down to Ace Hardware and Amazon Prime and, like, we'll get these things. Like, we don't have the, you know, UPS truck rumbles down the rubble, destroyed street, but they got, you know, four-wheel drive UPS trucks that bring it. No, there's none of that. It's 52 days of brutal labor. Imagine the mental drain. Imagine the aching backs and all the rest that would come from, like, rebuilding a wall. Like, I've stacked stone for, like, a few hours, but not, like, 52 days. You know, I've dug, like, fence post holes for, like, 10 of those holes in a row, you know, or 15, but then you stop, right? They've been going at it for 52 days. And God is such a good shepherd because he sees these people, and he says, hey, I realize you've been working hard for so long. And I see you weeping and grieving and upset about your sin, but rejoice. Rejoice. I know building a wall is not fun. I know you didn't have new leather gloves. I know you didn't have old leather gloves. You got huge calluses. You know, everything's hurting. The wall's done and there's all the emotional toil of the, you know, the enemies in these previous chapters who've been so mean. And God says, rejoice. I don't think I rejoice enough. I don't rejoice enough. 
there's a place I have to, you know, like the fair side of me is like, I must admit, like there's this place for weeping and grieving and things, but there is such a place for rejoicing. And God could have said, like, you're at this point of sin and like, you need to grovel in it. You need to feel bad and you need to stay. But he's like, hey, the exile's over. The exile's over. The sin is dealt with. Rejoice. And he puts so much emphasis on that. He says, go home, live in these temporary things, but rejoice that you're known by God. Rejoice that you've heard me speak. Rejoice that you've understood what I'm saying to you. Rejoice that I have grace and mercy for you. Rejoice that I've helped you. Rejoice that you have help from me, a creator. You know me. I'm in control of all the world's history. You know me. You're hearing from me. I'm acting in your life to bring you back to Jerusalem, to let you rebuild the wall of the temple, to worship. Rejoice. This morning, I went to Seagull Beach. It was early. It was cold. You might remember, you know, I was up before sunrise, and um, I have a built-in home alarm clock, and um, comes. there's two of them. I have two of them every morning. They let me know, and I get up, and, like, I go to Seagull Beach just because I was thinking about rejoicing, and I was just trying to think, like, what are things I can do? And I ask you the same question, like, what are things, if, if you don't feel like you rejoice enough, like, what are things you could do that would rejoice? And I was like, well, I'm pretty fortunate to live near a beach, 1.1 miles away, drive down the road, go to Seagull Beach, me and some family from New Hampshire are there, the wind is whipping, and it's like, you know, making the sand do this, that thing where, like, the wind blows the sand. It looks really cool, but it doesn't feel great on your ankles, you know? And you're like, but I'm like, man, I'm, I'm here to rejoice because this is incredible. And I, I decided, I, you know, nobody really wants to, like, get up and, like, put on clothes. And, you, you know, you just kind of like, uh, you know, it's in the morning. And I forgot to, like, prepare the coffee pot. But I look out the window, and I see a couple of stars. And I go, you know what, if I can see stars, that means there's no clouds. I'm going to go down there and check it out. I'm just going to go down and check it out. Awesome sunrise. Awesome sunrise. And then I did something really crazy, which was to get in the ocean right down there. So I looked around, you know, I've, I'd never, you know, I don't know much about Seagull Beach. I've been there one other time, but I was like, let me look around because somebody had told us like there could be jellyfish there at certain times of year. And I was like, well, I don't, know, I don't see jellyfish. We'll see what happens. So I get in, you know, and this is the point at which that other family from New Hampshire is like, you getting in? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, good luck, you know, and they drive away, which is never like, a, you know, it doesn't, you know, who's going to be there to rescue me if this doesn't go well. But so, you know, I get in like really shallow water. But it's like the sun's rising and these brisk small waves are like crashing and seaweed sloshing around and sand, of course, is going everywhere, you know, and it's but the sun is rising, you know, the sun's rising and it's brisk. I don't stay in long. Right. I mean, <laughs> I was like, you know, but I'm, I'm just like, man, this is alive right now. You know, this is the beauty of a moment that God has given me. Let me rejoice for this is the day the Lord has made. And let me run to my car and be thankful that it starts and, you know, turn the heat up, right? And like, go. I would ask you this week, what are some things you can do to rejoice? And God makes it really practical for us. He says, enjoy the good things in life. You know, eat that delicious food. Drink that sweet stuff, which was some kind of drink they had back then that was like sweet. Like, have these good experiences. And I don't know what the good things for you are. I don't know what sorts of things would just be like awesome for you, but find those things for joy. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Believers can live with joy. What keeps our rejoicing fresh is that we glimpse our sin, and then God just says, here's a deluge, a giant flood of my grace to wash away your sins. 
You don't have to weep anymore. You don't have to grieve anymore. Go, rejoice. The joy of the Lord is that you are loved with an everlasting love. Rejoice. The joy of the Lord is that you are forgiven, set free, made new. Rejoice. The joy of the Lord is that the chains are broken. Your enemies are defeated. The past is overcome. Whatever your past is, it's the past. And the future in Christ is new and you are new in him. You are strong. That's what verse 10 says. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You are strong because you can have the joy of the Lord. Let's close in prayer and keep on rejoicing. Father, there's nothing better I could say than I just praise you. You made us as human beings. And you surprise us at the, at the I, I don't know, you, you just surprise us with trusting you. At the moments when the people at Nehemiah 8 could have been so rigid and so serious and so like weeping and grieving and sackcloth and ashes and some of those things they did at other times. And you just look down in love and grace and say, go rejoice. Go rejoice. And what? more rejoicing could we do than just to say, wow, we've been forgiven. We've been given new life. Christ has made all things new. Christ has defeated all of our enemies. Christ is the captain of our salvation. You have given us every good and perfect gift, and we thank you. Help us to rejoice. Each one of us probably looks different, but help us to rejoice. Whatever we could delight in and that would make us spontaneously say, this is the day the Lord has made. Wow. Would you show us what that is, Holy Spirit? We trust you to lead every single little detail in every giant piece of our lives. Please do it again this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen.